Today, as we get started, uh, I want to open uh, up with an illustration. Today, we're going to be talking about worthy of celebration. I know uh, many of you, uh, this is a Christmas season, and so when you're a kid, Christmas season is nothing but fun, right? You know, they skip around and joyful and so excited. But as you have kids, there is an additional stress level that hits you, right? You all feel that? Uh, so today, even at this point, um, you know, Ken came up and he's trying to get you to smile and laugh a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's the same way today. Um, that today, we want you to know that we stand in this place and we worship here today because Christ is worthy of celebration. Um, a part of the illustration today is this. Um, Friday, we celebrated my little girl's seventh birthday. And so she's sitting right over there. We all give Chaney a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> She hates that attention, but um, one of the things about my kids, they love Chris, or sorry, they love birthdays. Uh, they love their own birthdays for obvious reasons, but um, they love just anybody's birthday. Um, so if you have a birthday, you want to send an invitation, they would love to show up. And uh, really, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with the person of the day like you. I mean, they, they like you, and they would enjoy seeing you there and seeing your presence, but there's something sitting in front of you at some point and it has these little lights in front of you, and then you blow it out, then everybody gets to celebrate, right? Uh, it is the birthday cake. My kids love birthday cakes. And so um, as point of illustration today, I feel like a lot of times, especially even in my own heart, um, is that uh, Christmas, when it comes, sometimes we forget the person of the day, and we start worshiping or celebrating elements of the day. And so for you, it might be the birthday cake of Christmas, is mama's home-cooked meal. It might be a present that you see sitting underneath a Christmas tree. It might be the atmosphere. Everybody loves the lights and, uh, you know, just the, the Christmas atmosphere where even if people don't, uh, even if, you know, whether they mean it or not, they have a smile on their face and they say Merry Christmas. Um, it, it, it could be just the, the, the family time. But, but today I, I want to draw people's hearts and attention and even my own to the point that Jesus is the reason for the season. I know that sounds a little cheesy, right? But um, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare. Father, today we acknowledge that your son, Jesus Christ, is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Father, we, we recognize that he is the hope of this world, and he is our hope. And so, Father, as we open your word and we talk about... Um, the prophetic psalm of Zechariah, Lord, I pray that you would plant in us um, celebration today. And there might be a person in this room or people in this room um, that they're believers and they're cruising into this season just weighted down and distracted and, and heavy laden. It's because our eyes have drifted from the person of Christmas and it's, it's been placed on a theme, an element of this, this season. Father, also we acknowledge today that there are people in this room that maybe have never trusted you as Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that the sweet gift of Jesus, the, the peace that he offers, Father, would be made available to them today. And Father, that they would find you to be a good, saving God. Father, we love you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and uh, grab those. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the prophetic psalm of Zechariah. Zechariah was the son of John the Baptist, or sorry, the father of John the Baptist, and uh, the, uh, the husband of Elizabeth. 
And at this point, uh, he and Elizabeth are uh, without child, and uh, he is serving as priest at the altar of incense where we find it. So Zechariah, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I don't know about you, but, but when I read scripture, I try to put myself in um, that environment. And so I want you to think about you are serving as priests in the altar of incense. And then you look over and there is a, a, a literal angel standing there. And it says that his heart was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. And I just want you, if you underline your Bible, I want you to underline that because we'll be coming back to it in just a second. It says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John and he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice in his birth. Look down at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Just pause. You, you think about the environment that he currently is in. He's sitting here, he's making offerings uh, to the Lord. And actually that prayer was a prayer for the nations. Then he sees this angel. This angel tells him, I bring you good news. And then he asks him, how will I know that this will actually take place? I want you to think about this in verse 19. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord and I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. I want you to think about Gabriel just, just being set back. I just told you not to fear. I am here. And then you question me about what I just communicated. I'm here to bring you good news. This is what happens, verse 20. It says, now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day it happens. Just pause. How many of you have ever told your kids, silence? This week, I was in my car, and uh, I, don't, I don't know... Um, um, if you've never had kids, you know the irritating sounds, like if you're on an airplane or you're in a, a small confined area and, uh, and you notice them. Well, sometimes parents, they, they get that, that ability to be able to shut out the sound. Well, whatever was going on with me this week, I could not shut out the sound. The volume level was like 120 decibels, and I turned around and said, no more talking. And it wasn't with a calm voice like that, but it was like, silence, you know? Well... You know that you said something wrong when the angel of the Lord says this. Zip. <laughs> he just zipped him up. He said, silence. You're, you're not going to speak. He says, until, uh, until the day this happens, because you did not believe the words which will come true at its proper time. So two things. The response of, of Zechariah could have two possibilities. First off, these were prayers that were prayed back in the day. Just back in the day, it has been distant from those prayers taking place. And so the first point is this. There is no expiration date on our prayers. There's no expiration date on our prayers. Many of us have been praying for things for years and decades, and we're trusting God to bring those things to fruition. You know, there, there is a God filter on our prayers, though, and it's called His will. It's His will. The other could be this, that he was praying those prayers currently, but, but he didn't believe. He wasn't sure whether those were going to take place. So the second point is this, prayer offered with little faith can still move the heart of God. Prayer offered with little faith can still move the heart of God. You think back to Jesus when um, he was um, encountered by a man, 
his son was demon-possessed, and he said, uh, do you have faith, or do you believe? He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so what you have as we continue through this message, you, you have Zechariah for uh, the duration of the pregnancy. He is totally silent. Um, he comes out of the, um, that, that offering, and, and the, the people know that he had an encounter with God because he was silent. Uh, but for the entire duration of the pregnancy, um, he, is, he is quiet. And then on the day he is born, eight days later, he and the family have this, this moment of celebration where they circumcise uh, the child, which I'm not sure why that was celebrated, but they circumcised the child, and then they, um, they would uh, name the child, and they would bless the child. And so the family members wanted to name him Zachariah after the father, but Elizabeth said his name is John. So they brought the tablet to Zechariah, and he wrote on there, he said, his name is John. And as soon as he did that, his mouth was opened. And then for the duration, if you will, go to Luke, uh, Luke 1 um, in 67 is where we start. I want you to think about that, this as you turn there, that for the next nine verses, he was just given back his voice after the birth of his son, and the next nine verses are not about his son, but about the Savior to come. So this is why the birth of Christ is worthy of our celebration. Look what he says. He says, the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to redeem his people. You think about that. He was talking about the nation of Israel, but then at the same time, we know as Gentiles that the, the blessing of salvation was spilled over to us. The sole reason why he was bringing this celebration was that we would be redeemed. Amen. So the next point is this. He is worthy of celebration because he is the one that came and redeemed. I want you to think about all of the stresses that are currently in your life. When we think about the birth of Christ, and then we put ourselves in the perspective of those of you that have trusted the Lord's Savior as your Lord and Savior, and you've given your heart and life to him, the joy that that should well up inside of us that not only has he redeemed us for eternity, but he's redeemed us for today. We, we have that, that hope of salvation. For me, it was in Panama City when I was in, um, in between eighth grade and ninth grade year. I, I went on a youth trip uh, with Sherwood Baptist Church. All week long, I had heard messages, I'm sure. I had small groups, I'm sure. But I was on the way Thursday night from worship to the condo that we were staying in. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And, and I was convicted and knew that I'd never trusted him as Lord and Savior. I mean, that was the moment of my salvation. And I give God praise for that. He is worthy of celebration because of that. John 3.16, Ken read it earlier, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. His motivation was salvation. Look what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, I thought I could leap from earth to heaven with one spring when I saw my sin drowned in the Redeemer's blood. How many of you today need to be reminded that you have been redeemed? I heard a pastor this, this past week. He said, very often Christians settle for um, a victory over the penalty of sin versus victory over daily sin. 
And I feel like for us and, and for me, a lot of times I find myself doing that with God. God, thank you for redeeming me for eternity. But God wants to redeem our days. He wants to change who we are, how we portray him and how we reflect him in many different ways. One of the ways that that was brought out to me, I was baptized. And, and I want you to know, like being up in front of crowds is not something that I find tons of pleasure in. Um, but, uh, but it's what God has given me opportunity to do. Um, back as a teenager, I used to hate being in front of people. And so um, the, the transition, like I said, eighth grade, ninth grade year, got saved, came back to this church, and uh, I was sitting through counseling, and I realized I had to be baptized again. So I was baptized when I was six, but, but really I, I just swam through the water, and it really um, never was a transition in my heart. And so uh, I saw on there, and our youth pastor, Jonathan Beasley, those of you that know him, um, he was sitting there looking another way, and then I marked on there rededication instead of salvation because I knew that will get me the pass. You know, I will not have to be baptized and stand up in front of people. And so that next week, I went through the week, and I, you never felt the conviction of the Lord on your heart, and I felt the conviction of the Lord. Man, I just totally lied to this guy, and I lied to the Lord about what happened in my heart and life. And I went back to him that next week, and I said, Jonathan, um, I, I need you to know I got saved at, at camp, and I need to be baptized. And uh, if you remember the old sanctuary, there, it was not a small little entry point. It was like you had to wade through the Jordan River to get to the place to where you were baptized. And so it was me, Stephen Durvin, and several other people that were baptized that day, and I was so nervous um, standing there. I remember, I'm sure, like, the water around me was just trembling. And, uh, and so... Uh, maybe tainted a little bit, but it was, it was trembling. And so, um, and then uh, I remember Jonathan looking at me, and again, I was saved. So uh, baptism is not what saves you. It's just a picture of what Christ did in your heart at salvation. Just like this wedding ring, it's not what makes me married. It's a symbol of a covenant union I entered into with Tracy. But when I was, when I was being baptized, Jonathan looks at me, and I remember like, him laying me back, buried in Christ in baptism, and I'm not sure why, but I had my eyes open, and he said, raised to walk in new way of life, and I remember coming up out of the baptism water with a huge grin on my face, and like the worry and stresses of y'all were totally gone, and just the understanding that I was made new in Christ, Amen. and when I came up out of that water, I had this big grin on my face, and Jonathan looked at me, and he says, it's awesome, isn't it? I said, yes, and I gave him this big hug. So he is worthy of salvation, or sorry, our celebration because he has redeemed us. He came and redeemed. Look what he continues to say in verse uh, 69. He says, he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. He has spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. Number two is this, he is worthy of our salvation our, our celebration because he is the one that gave us victory. That, that word gave right there, I, I circled it and I put underneath it, we can't, but he did. We can't, but he did. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were in a fight or in a situation that you could not bring victory in, but someone totally came in and took control, and that's who God is. Our struggle with sin, our struggle with lostness, are struggling with circumstances, your struggle with whatever is going on in your life, you cannot do it, but God can. Amen. 
Look what, Fran, uh, sorry, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, it says this. Um, this is Paul speaking. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God. So I, I ask you today, if, you, if you're writing down notes, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I currently struggling with something God gave me victory for 2,000 years ago? Am I currently today struggling with something that God gave me victory in 2,000 years ago? And I, I ask myself that, that question often when I, when I know there's certain things that are going on in my life, whether it's circumstantial or a sin issue. And am I struggling with this and, and God's already purchased victory? It, it would make no sense if we would do that, and if we're outsider looking in, it makes no sense to us when we see people do that. But it's a whole lot easier to judge other people's inconsistencies of applying God's word than it is for our own, right? Look what he says in um, 72. It says, to show his mercy and promise to our fathers, and he has redeemed his holy covenant and oath that he has swore to his father Abraham, and granted us. So the next is this, number three. He is worthy of celebration because he is the one who keeps his promises. He is the God that, that keeps his promises. And um, I want you to think about that. You know, what promises are you hanging on to that God's faithfulness has, has taken place in the past that you, you are encouraged in your future? Um, for me, um, my kids, um, obviously, when you have kids, you get tons of sermon illustrations um, if you're a pastor, and then you just get illustrations if you're not uh, to use and apply in various ways. Um, well, my son, I've already used uh, Cheney, but my son Caleb, um, when he was brought into this world, um, we, we realized early on, man, I just wanted to speak um, truth to him. I wanted him to know his father loves him and that he can trust him. Um, there are various scares um, that are taking place or fears that, that people have. Maybe your fears, mine, are of clowns. I have no clue why, but I just don't like clowns, all right? <laughs> Yours might be spiders or snakes or, you know, dark or whatever it is. Um, a couple of things. Uh, Caleb, one day, we, uh, we were trying to conquer the fear of having puppy dogs um, and dogs, and uh, we borrowed a dog from a family member, and they were playing, and then uh, Caleb started running down the hallway and the dog started running after Caleb, and, uh, and then Caleb just starts sprinting and jumps up on his bed, and he starts screaming out, he's trying to eat me, he's trying to eat me. Um, so I, I would say um, that sometimes our fears are validated, and sometimes they're not, right? <laughs> the little dog was not trying to eat him. Um, but early on, um, I knew that I, I wanted to, to build in him trust. And so um, without uh, Tracy's approval at times, I would be outside grilling at our old house, and there was a tree in the backyard, and he would climb up the tree, and I would tell him, all right, Caleb, climb the tree and jump to me. Um, so he was much smaller at this point, and so um, it was easier, but he would bail off. Um, eventually, he would get way up in the branches, and he has grown in size. And so um, he, would, he would bail off a couple times just straight at me like he was diving at me. So um, at this point, I have not dropped him. Um, so it, it has... Uh, now. We no longer jump from trees. It's like, hey, jump right here, you know, <laughs> gotcha, all right. 
Well, a couple of years back, we went on a family trip, and, uh, and all of our family was there. There, was a, there is a river behind the place that we were staying, and they have a platform up in the trees. And so um, I, I will call my wife by name. We uh, jumped out of the tree, and it took her moments, and I, I won't say how long, but, but a while for her to jump. But I, I want you to, to look at this picture. So this is Caleb. Uh, it took us a while to get him up into the branches and the tree, um, but as soon as he got up there, he said this, Daddy, jump down. And I jumped down to the bottom, and then where it might have taken my wife multiple seconds to do the jump, I said, all right, buddy, we're going to count to three. All right, one, two. He jumped. Without any kind of hesitation, he jumped. And what I want you to do, I, I just want you to look at this picture right now. Maybe for you, when, when we think about that he is a promise-keeping God, it is much like this picture right here. You don't see God's hands extended to you, but you're trusting his heart to catch you. Look at the next picture. And that is where his daddy was there waiting for him. And what I want you to know is, wherever you are currently in your life, God is in control. He sovereignly loves you. There are going to be times when he says, hey, bail out from that tree. You're not going to see his hands extended to you, and he might not even be visible. But you have to trust the Lord because he is a sovereign God that loves you and cares about you. I want you to write this down. There has never been a promise made by God that he will not fulfill. There has never been a promise that has been made by God that he will not fulfill. Corey Tim Boone said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And he, he loves you. And I was even this morning, uh, I went out and exercised because I was like, hey, I need to get prepared for today. And I was thinking about the fact that God brings things sometimes in our lives, especially when you think about the life of Jesus, that are difficult and hard. And maybe at the moment doesn't feel like the best but at the end of the day, Jesus currently is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he has the name above all names. And so today, when you think about God allowing him or allowing God to have sovereign control of who you are, you're trusting God that he is sovereign and in control. Look what he says in verse 74. He says, that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. For me, number uh, four is so important. He is worthy of celebration because he is the one that removes our shame. You think back to Genesis chapter three, God um, had a sacrifice that took place and he covered our shame, but Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is what removes our shame. Look what he says, um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians verse five, or sorry, uh, chapter 5, 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to write this down. There is no stain of sin more potent than the bleaching power of the blood of Christ. There may be times in your life where you have something inside of you or something that you've done in the past or something that you're currently doing, and you question that. You question, God, are you capable of forgiving me and washing me? And the answer is always yes. 
And the, and the truth is this, that God is not frantically still trying to clean you up. Again, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, having done everything that's needed to be done in order for you to have redemption and forgiveness and removal of that shame. I'll tell you one more illustration is this. Uh, growing up, um, I, there were four boys in our family, um, and I was the youngest. And uh, if you know anything about four boys, they're always getting in trouble. If you go out of town and you leave for 20 minutes and you say, all right, y'all behave, you might as well have just said, hey, act chaotic and run around the house. And so for us, that's, that's what happened. And so um, this day, it was just me and uh, my other brother, Austin. Uh, my family, mom and dad were gone. And uh, my, my brother walked out on the front porch and uh, he noticed off in the corner, um, there was a wasp nest. And so me being the youngest one, he said, Garrett, go get the wasp spray because I was a gopher of everything. And, uh, and so I run um, to, and I put partial blame to my, my dad pops um, on this um, encounter, but uh, I run back to the back room where he has um, a lot of his stuff and on this little table, um, there are a bunch of aerosol cans. And uh, back in the back corner was the wasp spray, but in front of all of that were like five or six different spray cans of paint. And so um, there, was a, there was a door right here next to, next to that, um, that table, um, but it was deadbolted. All right, so I reach over and grab the wasp spray. You know, I, I just reach over, and next thing I know, I, I nick one of the spray cans, and it falls off the table, which would not have been a bad thing. They're, they're pretty durable. But for whatever reason, there was an axe in the house. And uh, it hit the corner of the axe. And then all of a sudden, green spray paint started spraying out everywhere. All over the place. Now, I was young at the, at the time, so I didn't think, hey, dummy, just put your finger over the hole. No. I grabbed the spray paint can, tried to open the door, run through his little room, run through the laundry room, run through the kitchen, run through the dining room, run through the den, and then I throw the can outside the front door. And you ever seen things like slow motion? And it hits the ground, it's like And uh, I turn around, I look at my brother, and he's just like awestruck. I turn around and look at the house and there's a green fog that's just coming out of the house. All right. And so I, I walk into the house. I start assessing the damage. Um, I, I see green spray all over the place. We get to the kitchen and I notice it on the linoleum floor. Y'all remember that linoleum? And so um, it was on the floor. And uh, my older brother, which I love dearly now, and he treats me much better but he was really mean to me back in the day. I'll just be completely honest to you. Um, and uh, I remember I knew it was gonna be bad when Austin was on the ground trying to scrub the green spray paint off the floor. And I looked at him with all sincerity in his eyes and I said, do you think I'm gonna get a spanking? He said, <laughs> he said oh yes. <laughs> and he was a prophet, so. <laughs> So what I would say is this, when you think about celebrating Christ, you know that there, there are probably things that Pop still has that has green spray paint on now. But have you ever lived life having been forgiven and redeemed by God and washed and he gave you his righteousness? You understand this, that we didn't gain our own righteousness, that God in 
gave you his righteousness, where when God looks at you, he no longer sees you and your sin, he sees his son and the sacrifice of his son, and your righteousness that you have is not what you've achieved, but what Christ achieved on the cross, and after being raised three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And so you no longer have to frantically try to scrub out your life. God is the one that's already done that. But the problem is often most of us or some of us in this room, maybe as Christians, we're walking around as though we still have the stain and the shame before the Lord. Again, read what he says. That we being delivered by the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Look what he says in verse 76. It says, you child, so then again, transition to his son now. You child will be called prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge to salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins. Number five is this. He is worthy of our celebration because he is the one that gave us an eternal purpose. He's the one that that gave us this eternal purpose. No matter what you do, you are now carriers of the gospel where you go. Whether you're you're preaching, whether you're singing, whether you're um, working in some business, whether you're in your families, whether you're retired, wherever you are, God made you the light and the hope of the gospel. He redeemed your purpose. So when he says this about John, he also, God, is saying this about you, that you will be ones that are carrying around the knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sin, that we have the right and opportunities to point people to the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 16 says this, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Francis Chan says this, the greatest fear, my greatest fear is not failure, but succeeding in things or something that really doesn't matter. You think back to even today, and think to this season currently. Are you currently putting your, your, your hands to the plow of things that, that have an eternal purpose? They're going to have a value beyond this life. Are the things that are plaguing your heart, your mind, your resources, your revenue, are those things going to, going to last for eternity? And do they bring God, the God of creation of, of this universe, does it bring him glory? Number six is this. Look what he says in verse 78. It says, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high. Look what he says in verse 79. I I encourage you to underline it. It says, to give light to those who sit in darkness. When I think about this, I think think about those people and, and communities where nobody has taken the gospel to yet. For those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So I'll close out with this, this quote with Watchman Nee. Think what, it, what he says here. He says, outside of Christ, I am only a sinner, but in Christ, I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty, but in Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak, but in Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot, but in Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I am being defeated, but in Christ, I am already victorious. How meaningful are the words in Christ. So today, you, you're here, you're at church. It's Christmas time. Two more days, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ. The question is this, 
Are you celebrating the person of Christmas? Are you celebrating the, the Savior that has given you victory? Are you celebrating the one that has redeemed your soul? And time of invitation is this. If you will, just bow your head and close your eyes, and you can stand to your feet if you'd like. Maybe you're here tonight or today and you're a believer in Christ and you have forgotten what Christ has done for you. You're much like um, my kids and us at times where we're celebrating Christmas, but we're not celebrating the person of Christmas. Maybe today you just need to be reminded, man, God has given you victory he has redeemed your soul. He is the God that keeps his promise. He is the one that, that will do and has done what you could not do. Today, you just need to quiet the other thoughts and the other stresses, and you just worship God. Give him praise because he's worthy. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Christ. Why put it off? Today is the day of salvation. His hand is extended towards you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment. When we begin to sing, there are going to be men standing at the ends of these aisles. I'm asking you to do this, that, that you would just step out in the aisle, that you would come forward, and that you would let them know that today you want to give your heart and life to Christ. This could be the, the best Christmas of your whole life because you, for the first time, will be able to celebrate who Christ is and what he did for humanity. Maybe for others in this room, that are believers, you just need to come forward and you need to spend a moment in prayer and maybe pray for a loved one that needs the hope of salvation or maybe during this message you realize that you currently haven't been celebrating the person of Christ and you need to shepherd your, your own heart and shepherd your family well and remind them of what the reason for the season is all about. Father, we love you, God. We give you praise. We acknowledge that you are the God that came and saved and rescued souls. And today, I pray that you would do that in this room. Father, we love you. I pray these things to your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.